right. Hey, everybody. It feels like it has been a long time since I've done one of these because it has. I was off last week and then I had to bump this from Tuesday to Thursday. I feel like I have not had one of these conversations in way too long. So happy Thursday, everyone. Uh, we are back with another Learning Tech Talks where we are exploring the intersection of business technology and the human experience. I'm looking forward to today's conversation, not only because I haven't had one of these in a while, but this is going to be a really fun conversation. I'm joined by Ethan Webb from MindSmith, and we're going to be talking, yes, I know, AI, everybody's talking about AI, but we're really going to dig into what this looks like for L&D, specifically around how could this or how will this affect the experience design? of this whole thing and what are the practical implications of this and what does that mean for the end user how do we think about this how do we optimize our processes without completely giving ourselves over to the machines <laughs> so i'm looking forward to it and it's been a while ethan since we first connected it's always fun when i actually go live with these because i'm like what's it been like six months or something like that since we first talked <laughs> Yeah, which in startup land is like 15 years, you know, like the number of pivots and changes. Even, right? and... You might be a completely different company versus the last time we talked, which you're not. Yeah, it's like... it's my homework. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it's like another 200,000 lines of code later, like we're, <laughs> we're reconnecting. Right, right. Well, I think I did once have a guest come on and the company had completely changed the direction. And so when mm. we were backstage, I was like, oh, that's not what you do anymore. Okay, great. So how you, we had to completely readjust the conversation. So thank goodness, I, you know, there's not a whole lot of like pre-work in terms of like, here's all the outlines or the whole thing would have been torpedoed. So all that to say, I'm actually really curious, a little bit of background on you. And obviously you're leading a AI e-learning or learning development company, but where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, that's a really great question. So I actually... Have you been, was, ever been asked that way before? You know, Ethan, where did well, you come from? <laughs> actually, yes. Yeah. Oh, well, especially right. because we started as a student startup. And so there's a lot of like, oh, I don't know about these guys. Um <laughs> Which is I like know fair, another student honestly. startup that I got to know when they were still students and they're doing quite well. So that I would say I've got some positive things to say for the folks I've talked to in your in your shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually I kind of got thrown into the learning space. Um, just as a little bit of background, I've always been like mildly interested in like learning like I was, well, obviously as a student, but also like my mom is like. <laughs> I was in school and I, I don't know, I kind of cared about it a little bit. Not that well, much. I'm talking, I'm talking like learning theory, like pedagogy. Like I, I have like research pedagogy even before I was like, knew I was going into like learning. Okay. Just cause like, yeah, my mom's an educator. She's like getting her master's in teaching right now. Like she has three sisters who are all educators, my grandma, all that stuff. Like I was reading Paulo Freire a few years ago, like before I even knew, like whatever I was interested in learning. Um, <laughs> so um, I kind of got, so kind of the history of MindSmith, my co-founder Zach has been a project manager for an e-learning initiative for the last three years or so. Um, okay. It's it's an English learning program that he basically pushed worldwide. And so it's been done by hundreds of thousands of students. Um, and so he's kind of been in the e-learning space, like experimenting with e-learning tools and like working with instructional designers for quite a while. Um, he kind of had some really key learnings, which is that like e-learning takes forever to design and like it's a very arduous and kind of clunky process. It's um, extremely clunky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he had done some experimenting um, last summer and the summer before that with some of the like pre- um, GPT models so GPT-2 and GPT-3 um, and kind of realized that there was like really huge potential, but the models weren't quite there to, for it to be like viable. And then yeah, in, um, the, in the early stages, it would have been one of those things where it could do it, but it's kind of like when you ask somebody to do something they are in no way qualified to do and they end up making a bigger mess and you're like, honestly, right. <laughs> I, the rework is going to be more work than if I just did it myself. Yeah, yeah. Like he was working with like 
basically summarizing like YouTube videos and making like quizzes out of them, which is like, you know, it could do pretty well and you can add some value there, but it's not like, it's like a, not like a game changing technology that's going to like change someone's workflow or whatever. It may just like, right. slightly enhance or whatever. So um, he had been working actually in the, the higher ed space, kind of um, working through like some ed tech tools and doing some design work. Um, and we, so we were both admitted to a student incubator program at Brigham Young University, um, sure. where we basically get full-time college credit for two semesters to just start this company and like, work <laughs> on it all the time, <laughs> which ends up being Pretty way sweet more deal. work. <laughs> well, it is, except that it ends up being way more work than like any other class would be. <laughs> I, but it's, here's the thing though, going back to learning, I love when I hear programs that do this kind of stuff, because that's the kind of learning to your point. Is it way right. more work than showing up to class, listening to a bunch of lectures and passing some tests at the end, maybe writing a paper? Yeah, it is. But is it the kind of meaningful work that actually better prepares you to be successful in the real world? Like right. hands down. Yeah. Yeah. Basically everyone that's gone through this incubator, even if their like company like didn't continue after they ended up in like top level jobs because when they interview, it's like, yeah, I like built this company and we designed this thing. Right. And they're like, I wow, you two, like actually two know semesters what... building a company. I understand right. the complexity of how work happens. Right, right, right. And how to like be nimble and pivot and all that stuff. So um, yeah, we got him into this program. I, as a sort of project man, a product manager, and then him as, um, as a programmer and um, over the summer we got connected. So before the program actually started, he was working on some other stuff. We got connected through a mutual friend because he was looking for a co-founder. I'd done like a, a fellowship with this other friend who he had worked on some projects with. It turned out that we over the summer were working in the same building. The only two people in this room, like three feet apart from each other. And we had no, and like, no we idea. Never, like, <laughs> yeah, we, I never like actually talked to him. I just figured he was just some dude working on whatever he was working on. And so, um, yeah, we like set up this like, talk and we're like oh yeah we should meet at the startup building oh yeah Provo. you're that guy how about the top to floor <laughs> and he's like oh yeah i work at the top floor every day and like he came over and i was like oh cool this is fun so That's hilarious. yeah we got connected yeah. and then it was just like all crazy startup vibes from there like we we started in like micro learning and then we we ended up in ai and kind of so um, what was the original vision as you got into it because obviously based on the trajectory you've talked about there was kind of this recognition that hey there's some potential in what these ai tools are doing to again streamline some of the clunkiness of this stuff i mean i grew up in l d so i there's really not sure. a role i didn't sit in and i <laughs> still remember the days of being like, this is just stupid, but whatever, we got to get through it to get to the other side. Yeah. Where did that originally start? Cause I remember when we first talked the kind of the idea of where you were going and I'm curious what that journey has looked like. Yeah. Um, so I can go really in depth because we basically, I mean, as a startup, you kind of pivot every week and like kind of change your vision. Um, or this. No, but, I actually <laughs> right. Like I actually dismissed AI's application when we first got started. Like really? He, yeah. Yeah. Because it was it like, even chat GPT wasn't really out yet. It was like Jasper and GPT three. And like, I was like, ah, oh, it's interesting. I'm not sure it's quite there yet. And then um, it wasn't until, so we started kind of in September, August. It wasn't until November that I was like, okay, like this is the way to go for this tool. So we started out like basically building a micro learning um, platform for um, professors just because okay. like we hated our homework assignments. <laughs> like we hate like long textbook readings. And so like micro learning like makes the most sense and kind of like this flipped classroom thing, like preparing students to come into class. And also, like authoring tools are horrible and take hundreds of hours of tutorials. Well, to and a learn lot of professors giving. Well, and giving your example of that, you're asking an academic who historically has operated under a traditional academic approach, and now you're like, hey, just like flip your classroom and use these e-learning tools and make micro-learning, and they're like, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it didn't work out. So like the idea was like they could pick up this the tool and start like building in under five minutes that is just like so intuitive, easy to use. We make all the decisions for you. But even then it was like a headache to sell. 
um, they kind of are very entrenched in, you know, professors are just hard people to sell to. And then like higher ed institutions have their own like set of difficulties and bureaucracies and like red tape. That's just like kind of a headache to sell to. Oh yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a threat to the system in many ways. Right. Yeah. They kind of have this innovators dilemma thing, but yeah. Um, so then we were like, Oh, let's do corporate learning. And then we're like, Oh, the, the micro learning space is like kind of saturated and fragmented in the corporate learning. Um, how do we differentiate ourselves? And we were like, oh shoot, AI. <laughs> like, and then we leaned into AI. We built like basically a feature in like a, a night. It was like, you type in the title of a lesson and we generate a lesson for you. And like, okay. we threw that on Reddit and like on LinkedIn and some other like Facebook groups or whatever. And like our new users just like shot through the roof. It was like, we 10X yeah. our new users, like 10X our daily active users. Like everyone was like AI features for L&D is like what people were interested in and exploring. Um, and it's just been kind of like really like leaning into that ever since. So um, we kind of realized like AI can be applied in every step of the learning design process from uploading like their own source, your own source materials, like a standard operating procedure and employee handbook, giving the AI like overall guidance. So prompting it for like the generalized course, like audience learning objectives. So like getting really granular in the way that we're using AI. So like we let, we generate an outline and you can like edit the outline and say like, teach how to handle an angry customer using a conversation between a customer and an employee or teach this oh, well, concept using a narrative story on. or. Okay. Cause what I want to do is get into some of these things. Cause again, I think it'll tie in from an operation standpoint of the process that you're following with this. Cause I think this is a really good conversation to unpack because in my conversations, a lot of the folks I talk to, they're struggling to figure out how this fits right. or where it fits. And I find people are on two ends of the spectrum. Either I've got the folks who are just like all in, we'll just let AI do it all. And then they've got the folks who are still a little tempted. So I am curious what the initial, I mean, obviously you said you had a lot of initial reaction, positive reaction. But I'm curious how you're seeing this being engaged with from the practitioner side, because in some ways it can be a little bit perceived as a threat. You know, well, this was kind of like what I used to do, what I used to spend all my time doing. And now it kind of is done for me. How has yeah. that been received? Yeah, the way that so the way that we frame it is that we're turning instructional designers from like brick layers so doing a lot of the grunt work of like interviewing a subject matter expert and then like synthesizing that information even though you're like speaking kind of two different languages <laughs> as them like somehow synthesizing this information even though you're not the subject matter expert and then doing like all like writing all this content right and so like trying to think through like how do i create this story and how do i create this dialogue and how do i create this person um all the and, and how do i like teach while doing that um, so turning a lot of that instead of like the, the grunt work brick layer into like a learning architect. So they can really focus on like the pedagogical concepts and kind of fine tuning the lesson and turning it into like this beautiful vision of a lesson that they have in like a 10th of the time. Right. So that's why we let instructional designers and learning designers guide the AI in like literally every step of the process. Like we even have like an assistant where they can generate new content and regenerate content under like these different parameters or these visions that they have. Um, because like there are a lot of tools out there where you like type in a single topic and they'll generate even like a full course for you, you know? And it's like a learning designer that doesn't help them because it's like, it doesn't give them any control. It doesn't give them any like, well, and that's like, what I wanted to, to talk about because I, well, and I, and I've seen a lot of this even happen now. And you're seeing this kind of capability pop into a lot of different platforms. I mean, right. even community platforms now where it's like, Hey, build your own e-course. All you got to do is type in one sentence and it'll build the right. course for you. And you're like, is that really what we need? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which if you have no experience in the space, right. Maybe that can be helpful for you. Yeah. But if and you're a learning professional where you go, yeah, like nothing it creates is actually going to be quite what I want. Well, yeah, you have a vision for the course, right? And so like, it makes no sense for like an AI to just like create the entire vision for you. And so, but it does make sense to use the AI kind of as you're designing the course. 
And we actually, we're, we're finding that a lot of our users use MindSmith to iterate through different versions of the course. So read, so generating like five or six different versions. And because it's so fast, you can change parameters and you can change the way that you guide it. You can say like, oh, I like this about this course, like this about this course, like this, but it's all on the same topic. Let's like combine these different aspects to create like a cohesive course that I like, or even like A-B testing with learners. Like you can now like in real time, like kind of change the content because it doesn't take like, you know, two hours to regenerate a course. You can kind of like, you can work with all these different versions of courses to um, iterate and kind of like, we almost turn, we were talking about this the other day, we, it's almost like we're turning like learning and development professionals into like product people, where it's like, you're lean, you're, you're like, you're iterating, you are even like, we're going, we'll have a data play here in the next few months where you're like looking through the data on the course to like create a course that actually like is resonating with your learners and having impact. So that you can see where, hey, you know what, this this section ain't flying. We probably should right. do something about it because nobody seems to care about it. Right. Whereas otherwise, it's like it doesn't make sense to relook at a course because then you have to like reopen it and you have to like take another few hours. Whereas now you just regenerate the section. And well, because like I mean, again, and you think about going back to some of this from an operation standpoint. So two things that you said that resonated with me a lot that I think it missed in our industry. And again, I don't point fingers because I'm like, I get it. It just sucks to do. Right. One is that operations piece. Like you just talked about, every senior leader I know, probably at some point in their career was like, we really should have some sort of review cycle <laughs> for our content. Right. You know, and, 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 I've, and I've been guilty of it myself in the past where it's like, okay, we're going to put everything on a schedule and every six months or one year or whatever, we're going to go back and we're going to review the course and edit it. Right. I can <laughs> count on like this right there. That's how many times we successfully actually consistently stayed with it. Maybe it was like one time you were like, we should look at that course. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we're but, not going to get into that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we changed the economics of that, right? Like when it's faster and easier and cheaper to create and change courses, it's a totally different ballgame. In fact, we th this is a cool innovation that actually has nothing to do with AI, but our SCORM files are remote hosted. So we host them, meaning that like if you update your course in MindSmith, it just automatically updates in your LMS. You don't have to like delete it and re-upload it. It's not this like whole long process where you have to make sure it's perfect and everything which also allows us to do some really cool stuff with like translation. Like you can host like versions of a file and it will like read the system language of the learner and automatically upload the like language of the learner. And okay. so instead of like having to like say, okay, who are Spanish learners? Let's upload the Spanish file to them. Who are our like French learners? It's like, it's very Which dynamic. again, operationally has historically always been a nightmare. I mean, LMSs right. have worked to try and change that where it's like, well, you can create one course and then you got to upload 13 different versions of the SCORM file into it. But then again, you go back to the operations component of it when you're like, well, we need to update it. Right. Oh, we need to update 13 different versions of the course <laughs> and then re-upload 13 different versions. And whoops, you know, Bill forgot to upload version three to options. Right. I mean, it just operationally gets yeah. so, so, so messy. Yeah. Yeah. So just like, I, I just think that like learning hasn't really had like a major disruptor in a very long time. It has. At least not in authoring tools. And so, um, like there no, are I think the e innovations and changes. I think changes. the e-learning movement of probably, you know, I mean, again, e-learning has been around for longer than the '90s, but really, the '90s, 2000s was really when yeah. the e-learning movement kind of picked up. Where this idea of, hey, digital content might actually be that was pretty disruptive in its time. I mean, right. before that, it yeah, was I mean, a little more niche. Yeah. And then it boomed, but we haven't really had much in terms of major innovation since. Yeah, I mean, the 300-pound gorillas like uh, Articulate and Captivate were both founded in 03. It's like, 
I don't know if that like you know they're like working and they have some cool innovations and Rise is cool and Cadsbay just released a new version, but it's like there, <laughs> there's something there, like there's something missing, you know, about like the way that authoring tools have been careful. You'll have been you'll innovated upon insider yeah, riot. I, I in know, I know. You better watch it. The comments are, are going I've wild. <laughs> side note: I've actually had people leave job opportunities in the interviews because of tools we don't need to get well when they take which when they take hundreds of hours to learn it like that actually makes sense (laughs) like i was saying people were adopted to a specific tool and if they can't use that tools but again i think to your point this opportunity for innovating in the space of well do we necessarily have to be limited to some of this stuff yeah yeah, I mean, a SCORM file, like your classic SCORM file, is literally like all the HTML for an entire website that you're uploading. It's like, that is clunky and old. <laughs> like, yes. It could be done better. So so, anyway. so from a workflow standpoint, looking at some of these things, you talked about the process and the involvement that you have. Because again, I think sometimes when people think of AI-based tools, if you haven't played around with them, I'd encourage anybody to... Because in my opinion, my experience has been, if you've used one, you've used one. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. yeah, Because that's what I've seen where you go, oh, no, yeah, no, this one has AI. And it's like, right, but have you tried other ones? Because they're all different. And again, I'm seeing way different applications. So I am curious from a workflow standpoint, what that looks like. Because to your point, I think people may be associating some with, oh, yeah, you type a sentence and then you know, it comes up with everything and you go, well, that wasn't quite right. And then you go back and you spend more time revising it. So how does that kind of iterative approach work from soup to nuts? Yeah. Um, so we're actually streamlining the the workflow process right now. Like the U, we call it the UX of the actual okay. tool. Um, but currently there are three different paths you can, t- you can take. There's um, like one where we generate an outline for you. One where you just upload a file and it'll follow the file. Like you don't, like change the outline or anything like that. It's literally like, I want to turn this PowerPoint into a, like, into a lesson. And then there's one where it gives you a little bit more control. It's just like, it's a manual outline. Um, So normally people choose the topic one. Uh, It does some work, but it also gives you control. Um, You type in a topic. So whatever you're trying to generate the lesson on, and then you give it background information. So things like your audience, like this is for a senior engineer, or this is for like, uh, you know, so you're capturing, you're capturing or... some of that contextual information yeah. that, again, is required. Because this is the other thing that sometimes I, I'll talk about that people get a little uncomfortable with is just this idea that, you know, well, what is the role of the instructional designer? And what you're describing, all of that background analysis piece is still extremely critical. You can't just go topic on whatever, cybersecurity, right. and then just go with it. Right, exactly. And so like, yeah, tell us your learning objectives. Tell us like what, like, got, like tell the AI what you want from it so that we can actually like, you know, know how to get, like fulfill your vision. Um, we also let you upload documents. So I, I mentioned that briefly, but um, like if you have any sort of documentation that is like specific to your company, we want to like, we want to tailor this course to your company's policies or whatever you're trying, or like the subject matter expert that you're now, is working that a closed with. system then? So that that's staying associated specifically with that course in terms of like, Hey, here's reference material to give you context around the course that we're building. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's totally closed. Um, right now it's just one single document. You can upload a URL. So if you want to like pull from a website or something, you can do that as well. Um, okay. And yeah, but yeah, it's just, it's the context that the AI uses for the course. So it looks first at that, and then it looks at its like generalized knowledge if there are things beyond the document that it needs to generate. Like if I need to generate like a conversation, that's not usually in the standard operating procedure, but I Correct. need to turn it into like a learning thing. And so let's, you know, work with the AI. So um, yeah, you give a background information and then there's some settings that you mess with, you know, length, uh, we have GPT 3.5 and 4. And you can um, auto uh, generate images and things like that. So just some settings. And then we generate an outline for you. And so the outline has subtopics and then descriptions for each of those subtopics. And that's kind of like your chance to get a little bit more granular in the way that you're guiding the AI. So like if you want to teach a particular subject in a particular way, 
you would edit that outline. So it's fully editable. You can add sections, you can delete sections, whatever. Um, but it really is like, what? here's the vision for the course. And then you generate the actual um, lesson. And then within the lesson, we have an assistant that you can regenerate like the entire lesson. You can regenerate a section or you can regenerate an individual card. So you're like, I didn't love the way that you like created this like conversation. Can you add more context to it? Or can you go deeper on this subject? Or can you make this more concise or whatever? So just like fine tuning the course kind of gets you, you know, another 10% of the way there. And then we have also an assistant that lets you add cards. So if like okay. there was some content that you felt like was missing, then you say like, make sure that you create a card on this and then it'll create those cards. So okay. yeah, that's, that's the generalized flow. And then like, you can do a lot of stuff manually, obviously. And then you just uh, normally export via SCORM and upload to your LMS. So in many ways, as I'm thinking through this, um, and I think this is something that, again, why I would encourage anybody who's in the design space to actually play with some of these tools because they're not all created equal. And again, I think we're, we're in kind of a weird phase where the limits of what you can do is really up to your imagination. Right. You know, in terms of like, Hey, well, and that's where sometimes you get these binary questions. Well, is AI going to be creating all our content? I mean, I, I guess I don't know the answer. Like, what are you going <laughs> to let it do? Like, what are you going right. to let, could it? I guess you could. I mean, because from the sounds of it with Mindsmith, you could just let the AI make it, but that would just be reckless as an instructional designer. Right. That, it would be a bad course. Like, Okay. It just was. I mean, it would be okay. It would be like 80% of the way done, but it would be an AI generated course, you know, like. Which sometimes like going back to the operational nature of it, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, there are definitely times in my career where there have been times where you're like, we just got to get this thing done. Like it really yeah. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It just needs to be there so we can check the box. And I know sometimes yeah. our industry gets really feisty about that. Like we're never supposed to do that. But the reality is we all know those situations where you go, this is some stakeholder somewhere or some policy somewhere that somebody's just bent out of shape on and we just right. need to get a thing done. And historically from an operation standpoint, you would spend months trying to go back and forth with this versus hitting the easy button and then going here, is this good enough? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is great. And fine. Okay. We're, you know, move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the elephant in the room for us is like, we that's not our vision for MySmith at all and we're very intentional to like give you direction and to like help you be a like learning designer using an ai tool but at the end of the day if you want to do that you can like we do have clients who do that you know it's like they just they have to pump out courses and they needed it yesterday and that's just how it is. It's a quick moving industry like sometimes it's just like really fast moving industries and they don't really have the luxury of like even spending, you know, three or four hours on a course and that's okay. You know, maybe you just spend 30 to 45 <laughs> minutes on it and whatever, it checks the box and then you, then you can spend your time somewhere else, maybe more useful well, designing a beautiful, And that's, awesome I think, course, the you know, point like, with it. That's it's just the trade-off. This is where the, sometimes yeah. it's a hill that folks die on that I go, I don't think this is the right hill to die on because to your right. point, and this is usually the way I have personally handled it and coached others through it is there is always something that you know your time would be better spent on type right. of a thing like so yeah use this so that you're not spending your precious hours on the thing that you know is a giant waste of time right and i had a conversation recently about something like this where i'm like i get that you're having a visceral reaction to the fact that I am telling you to drive the train off the tracks. <laughs> like no. drive it off the tracks. You know, it's going to fly off the bridge. It's going to explode on the ground and it's going to be of adding zero value. But I'm telling you driving that train off the tracks and exploding is worth it because then you're going to be able to right. mine this gold mine over here and actually get a bunch of it. And I just saw this like tension of, yeah, but we're, you're destroying the train. And it's like, I, I right. get, that's a really hard thing to get around sometimes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we have to be careful about how we talk about MindSmith to instructional designers and the people who will be using the tool and kind of how we talk about MindSmith to like learning managers and directors. It's like they're very much interested in the business and impact. And like you're talking about like these trade-offs and like really optimizing their team for both efficiency and like good design. And so we have to talk about, yeah, we're saving your people time and like we're saving like you money and we let them like spend time on other things or whatever, other projects that maybe they could be better useful on. And to learning designers, you don't really want to talk about that because they're very like, they need to think that everything is like totally pedagogically sound and following <laughs> everything that's perfect. Even yeah. though we know, and I think this is one of the things that we, it's easy to forget that not everything is like even outside <laughs> of our, I mean, I just yeah. remember, and maybe it's cause I didn't always grow up in the traditional like HR L and D space, but came in through operations and customer experience and sales and all this where, I mean, people are creating garbage content all the time. Like it's yeah. not based on anything. Like it's not even based on critical thinking of how should I structure this in a meaningful way? It's right. literally Ethan sitting at his desk, just word vomiting, whatever came into his head onto a PowerPoint and going, here's yeah. some training, you know, copy and pasting like, a policy. Yeah. It's like, it's basically right. reading it's a like, textbook. <laughs> right. And it's, it's not even contextualizing it. It's not simplifying it. It's not organizing it in any meaningful way. And I look at how much opportunity is on the table and sometimes I feel like we can get hung up on this, like, but if everything's not perfect, we just can't move forward. And it's like, well, everything's not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Period. I mean, it's already not perfect. So let's not die on this hill. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There's sort of like this, this dialectic between how like learning design, like should ideally be done, how learning design is done and then like we want to move towards a future where we kind of like synthesize those in a way that like <laughs> most stuff is done with best practices and we're trying our that's best and it. there's a human elements as much as we can and yeah well and i think that's where as we look at ai one of the things that gets me most excited about it is the fact that i don't know anybody i mean maybe there's some people out there right but i don't know anybody who legitimately consciously is thinking, I want to create some garbage. Like I want to just right. create some yeah. trash that wastes a bunch of people's time that, you know, is just going to be a real pain in their day and ruins their life. Nobody's doing that. That, that maybe if you are whatever, but you, that's the minority. Right. And so when I look at that and you go, so look at how much in an organization we know is broken and dysfunction, dysfunctional. And we know most everybody out there is literally just trying to do their very best, but they're restrained. They, they have, don't have enough time. They don't have enough resources. They don't have the expertise or the skill. And so sometimes when I see this scarcity mindset come up of, oh boy, like if AI is helping with this or if, subject matter experts are building content on their own. Like, is there going to be enough for us? I don't see a world ever where we actually get to a point where we go, yeah, boy, I don't know. We've kind of fixed every problem right. that's ever existed. <laughs> and we're staying on top of it too. Crazy change is happening all the time and we're just on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways in which like AI will change workflows right like whether it's tending the machine or doing processes that like otherwise wouldn't have been done or like um what was the other one there's an interesting paper that i read recently um by paul formosa and sarah i can't remember her last name but he talks about like all the different like ways that ai can change like the meaningful work landscape and it really comes down to the organization and how they want to like view AI. Like if you see AI changing the economics of learning as like now we can fire a bunch of people, then that is like probably going to be bad for the long term of your business. <laughs> like it's just like like maybe it'll be good for a short line, like short term bottom line or whatever. 
but yeah. like what would actually be good is now AI is like like being used to track performance and underperformers and people are using AI to build beautiful trainings that help kind of or maybe yeah. even individualized or personalized trainings that help people like become top performers and it's sort of like I don't know by increasing the efficiency it almost like brings L&D to the like business impact table I think and to the it does because table. before, yeah, it just is, again, from a feasibility standpoint, even with AI, I can tell you right now, I mean, we, I use it a lot and so do teams that I work with and that work for me and we still can't keep pace. I mean, that's the thing, no matter, no matter how efficient right. these tools get, how, uh, no matter how much there is still so much that has there's to be backlog. done. Yeah. There's a backlog. There's you know, deeper questions. There's things that you realize right. you didn't know that you discovered now that have to be changed, that need to be iterated and evolved. Things that you go, man, I wish if we, if we had had the time, I wish we would have been right. able to do that. I don't see us getting any closer to it. And I think sometimes that's where the fear factor creeps in as people go, well, what if we reach that line? Like I, I have no hope that we're going to get even close to that line anytime soon, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every learning director and learning manager that I've talked to has a vision for their learning team that is like way broader than what they're currently doing. You know, like it's just, it's, it's so like, there's so much more that can be tested and like, like that you can dive into. And like, there's just, it's such a huge, I mean, it's learning. It's literally like, what people have been doing for like <laughs> ever since the beginning like, of time yeah. since the beginning of time like there's so much to study and learn and understand and we still and know your, very little like, about it like that's the other right. thing is there's so much yet to discover with it that's yeah. the part that gets me really excited it's like we think we know all the answers to this like we yeah. don't know all the answers to this i'm still fascinated in our field and it's the only reason i went into this field was the fact that one plus one equals two. And then randomly one plus one equals seven. And you go, I don't wait. Why did that? Ha and you have to solve for it and go, well, there's a variable in there somewhere. I just don't know what it is. And I don't know how right. we account for it. And so we have to experiment and play and see how we can finally solve the equation. Yeah. That's also why we're like pretty excited about like, we have a data play that we're like working through right now okay. um, where you would essentially, so like AI is very good at um, recognizing like patterns, right? Patterns yes. and like- It's phenomenal. Uh, it's that better than people at pattern. it. Yeah, it, that's literally <laughs> its job. That's all it does is recognize patterns, right? And so like from a performance standpoint, like that is super exciting. Like being able to recognize patterns in people that like otherwise were not able to like, like see or know or like uh, measuring impact. So like, how did this actually improve learning? And like, like our vision is at least like for kind of an MVP is that you as like a learning designer can type in just using natural language, what you want to see. And we yeah. take all of the tracking data that we've done and pull it all together to give you like a, a robust view of like, of impact and things that like, otherwise you would have like maybe had to gone, go to like a data analysis team, you know, which or you like, just never would have even pretty thought low on the ask. totem pole or that, yeah. I yeah. Mean, or maybe, yeah, maybe there's an anomaly detection that like notices things that otherwise you would have never, ever thought to even like think to ask or, or recognize. And right. So, I mean, I just think of the pattern clustering that it can do. That right. I mean, you wouldn't have thought to ask a data analyst, hey, can right. you look for these pat? You wouldn't have thought to ask someone to look for the pattern that it can yeah. detect now and say, hey, are you aware of this? I mean, I think about, you know, we talk about AI in 2023 as though it's this new thing, which just right. baffles me. But when you think about how it's been used for marketing, I mean, yeah. AI has been convincing you you need to buy things you didn't <laughs> yeah, know you even you didn't even know it existed type for years 
Yeah, we've been mapping profiles of people. Yeah, exactly. Right, we have been mapping profiles of people and their interests and their desires and what they want and where they are. And and, oh, you might, you're standing right here and today is this day and this is what's on your calendar. I bet you might be interested in this coupon for bagels. And it's like, (laughs) ding. Well, I guess I wasn't hungry for bagels, but now that I think about it, I actually am kind. If you think about using that in ways other than just trying to sell people crap right? <laughs> and getting yeah. them to buy things they don't need. And now you start using that power to say, how can we actually get people to grow and develop and become better human beings that they didn't even know were opportunity areas for development? I mean, people see it all the time in learning. Oh, people don't think they need to develop in this. They're not interested. So how do you think we help them see they need it and they are interested? Well, we do the same thing our marketing friends have been doing for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was kind of distracted because I'm looking for a chart that I saw on LinkedIn the other day by, um, Egle. I don't, I don't know her last name. It's like something Eastern European. I can't pronounce it, but, um, she has this cool chart that it starts with like, um how ai will impact well it's it's how ai will impact lnd and the bottom rung is content production and then it goes into learning experience and support then skills intelligence and then business intelligence which is cool because like those sort of like build on each other and that was kind of like at least for mindsmith that was our vision like kind of not since day one but like since we started like thinking through like ai and lnd it was always like once you nail content, then you can move into like AI from the, like on the learner side, right. Learner experience. And then once you nail that, then you can look at like skills performance. And once you're like really nailing skills and performance and and data, then you can move into like business impact, business analytics. And that like really elevates the way, not only that learning is done, but the way that learning is viewed, I think within the company, because then you're looking at business impact, then you're looking at ROI and like, a meaningful way because like, I don't know, LND has always yeah. struggled with that. Um, kind of, yeah. The un- untold so, secret. Like, well, but, hard. but again, and I think this is where, no, I, I like poking fun at, I mean, cause I'm part of it. Cause this is an area of opportunity. And, and again, this goes back to some of the things, cause even what we're talking about, and then I've got a philosophical question for you okay. um, on this is behind all of this are people. And right. that's the part that we sometimes forget. So even going back to, you know, your comment about the measurement, it's like, well, how do you actually get better at being meaningful in your measurement and data story? Well, it's by making conscious and intentional decisions at the beginning of your process to say, how do we make sure we're actually doing something that is having an impact? Well, right. if you don't ask those questions on the front end and you just march through the process and go, Let's just do a thing. And then maybe someday we'll get to a point where we can look at the, all the data of the things we did and find something meaningful in it. It's like, that's not how, that's not how the scientific method works. You don't just randomly do a bunch of experiments and then be like, okay, now let's look back. Did we do anything? I mean, you'd be laughed out of the scientific community. If you proposed that that's how you did science, we just, I don't know, put a bunch of things in a room. And light it on fire. And then we go back and we try and look and see if anything was created. Like, Don't do tell management that. consultants that. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I, so this goes back to the hierarchy piece because the risk you identified, because I agree with you, the pyramid piece, AI can help with this content development, but it should be helping you with this. And this is a message to learning leaders on this. It should be helping you as a means to an end or with right. a purpose versus just right. a, like, well, we just want to speed up our content development. Like right. why, why? Because if you don't answer that question and you aren't intentional on thinking about, okay, fine. You want to use AI to improve your content operations to what end? Because if it's just, that is the end, I think you're missing opportunities. And so I'm curious how you see mitigating some of these risks because i can absolutely see lnd organizations and companies as business leaders go hey this is awesome we can sign you up for an x number of dollars a month tool and you can just shovel out content 
like you've never shoveled out content before and it's going to be great. And that's yeah. where the conversation ends. Yeah. No, yeah. We we are very intentional to not like position MindSmith as just the tool that will like save you time, right? Like we don't want to be just that like because it is like the the questions for AI and how MindSmith uh, in particular impacts like meaningful work is like a really important question to us. I made a LinkedIn post about this the other day, but I was reading, um, have you read The Myth of Sisyphus by um, Albert Camus? He's a philosopher from the 50s. Um, and in it, kind of at the very end, he talks about Sisyphus, who like, I don't know if like, kind of the famous Greek myth where he was punished. So he was this guy who like, lived his life to the fullest he like laughed in the face of the gods like he literally was like sleeping with their wives and like going down to hell and coming back and all this stuff um and so their punishment to him was to push this heavy rock to the top of a hill and then he has to let it roll down and then he pushes it up again the next day okay yeah and so yeah. the the punishment is like it, and 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 camus applies it to like kind of meaningful work he says that like the ultimate punishment for Sisyphus, someone who like is the epitome of being human, like living their actual life is to live a mundane, like, like no impact life where like literally every day is the same thing. And it's just like this stagnant, like eternal punishment. Like that is the worst punishment to a human is to like work with for no yeah that's literally hell on earth it's like work with no purpose with no like right you're gonna toil and you're gonna do all this stuff and it's gonna be at the end of the day it's all gonna be back on the ground and you're gonna push it all right back uphill exactly exactly and so he talks about like like kind of people like living in corporate america are sort of like the sisyphus figure where like they sort of toil endlessly and they like often feel like they have no real impact and so and he goes into absurdism and like philosophical concepts that like have no conversation. <laughs> he talks about, we must imagine Sisyphus happy, which I'm not sure I agree with, but um, he, but what, what that does is it kind of provides us a framework of like, what is meaning, what's a meaningful life and what is meaningful work? Like it connects you to other people. It's a project that's part of a whole that you like see your impact and you are like contributing meaningfully. It's like, it's creating like it's you are gaining skills from it you are growing as an individual um and we believe that mindsmith if applied correctly can um benefit in each of these like meaningful work categories this article that i was talking about um with paul formosa kind of does a similar thing where it, I, I actually have it pulled up he talks about so they break down um the um, the framework of meaningful work of task integrity. So the opportunity to complete a whole piece of work, skill cultivation and use, the ability to use and deploy a wide range of work, task significance, the degree to one's work is relevant, connected to the world, autonomy. So you're feeling a freedom and then belongingness, how much it connects you to a wider group of people. And like MindSmith is designed to be collaborative. So like we want to connect you to other people. It's designed to be human led. Like it's, it's supposed to like bring your work up in the yeah. sense of like you are doing like theoretical human-based work instead of like mechanistic sort of like AI like work that can easily be done by AI. Like it's yeah. meant to like cultivate your skills as an instructional designer because now you have to really think and critically engage with the courses that you are like designing. And so like, yeah. I don't know, it like ultimately- Well, what's funny about this is going full circle to our conversation earlier to something you said in the beginning that- I think paints this picture well for learning professionals as they think about this. Okay. You shared probably what you feel was one of the most meaningful experiences you had in your college career, which was two semesters yeah. building a business. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the main reasons why so many schools struggle with making that the majority of where students are spending their time is because the idea of taking all of this other content, information, knowledge, all this stuff, and turning it into something different so that they have the time and the mind share and the focus on this greater, more meaningful thing that you yourself said 
oh, this was like vastly more valuable than anything else I could do. And it's because people are too busy pushing the rock uphill going, well, we got to like, we got to get through the PowerPoints and we got to make sure people write the paper and we got to make sure they do the thing. And then they hear AI can make help students write papers and they go, oh my gosh, how do we stop it from writing papers? Cause we're so busy pushing this rock uphill. Like it's going to get in the way of the rock. And it's like, wait a minute, you could actually spend your time doing the more meaningful thing that is actually going to drive value to individuals. And that doesn't mean you do away with the rock. It just right. means you get a cable and pulley that just pulls the rock and then it rolls it back to the bottom of the hill and you go, eh, you know what? Let the cable and pulley do the thing so I can be over here doing right. the actual meaningful work. And I think sometimes that's the part where we don't always think about that because we're so framed in by the idea of I've been pushing this rock uphill for so long. What do I do if I'm not pushing the rock uphill? And it's like, right. You know, you know what those things are because you've experienced them. You've lived them. You know, those moments where you've done it. So I just think there's so much potential. And, and to your point, can you control as Mindsmith? Can you, can, can you avoid people from just pushing the rock uphill faster? And that's a, no. <laughs> and nor do I think that's your responsibility to try and police people's use of the tool. But right. I think for the learning professionals, there's so much more you can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is exactly kind of, our, that is our vision for how we want AI to be seen and Mindsmith to be used is, yeah, is that it's enhancing, it's growing. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. We're kind of in this like weird time. That's like, there are people like, there's kind of this like tension between like humanism and AI and it's, they're like fighting each other and they're kind of like this I don't know. I, I'm really interested in like dialectics. You may have heard me mention it's like this Hegelian dialectic between like the, the human part of learning and the like artificial intelligence part of learning. And we want them to fight and we want them to like, and they it, do. Which is they funny because they're, they're not fighting back. The, the right. funny part is they don't fight back. They're just standing there kind of like, oh, okay. Like I'm just trying right. to do what you they need exist. me to do type of. <laughs> yeah. They exist as this contradiction within like within intelligence and learning and it's yeah. our job to like work through that instead of trying to like circumvent it. Like we're doing all this, like, I don't know. I, I'm not a big, like, I, I do believe that there should be like some sort of like regulation for AI and like policy, but I'm not like an AI alarmist. And I'm not like, I actually am a neo-Luddite in some ways, but like not in the AI way. <laughs> I deleted social media. So I'm like, I don't I'm not about that. But, um, <laughs> But the only way I think through this like contradiction or the only way past this contradiction is through it is like, yes. what does human and AI work together mean? Like not how do we return back to human or how do we like, like there's no turning back at this point, you know? No. And, and the, the no. solution isn't like to let AI do everything in our lives forever. You know, it really is sort of this like sort of synthesis that we like as individuals have to work through in, in our lives. Like you're presented with an AI tool, Mindsmith, right? You can either like reject it and not use it, or you can use it as just an AI and rely on it fully, or you can use it as creating meaningful work for yourself. And that's the thesis. Yeah. That's the direction that I think all companies will have to think about. Like as we're adopting AI tools, how how are we framing it? What's our, what's our like company's AI philosophy? Like, yeah. and, and yeah. how do we want to give it to our and frame it to our employees? And so I, I can only hope that, that that's the direction and maybe that's like way more um, well, but I think you than back, anyone actually what, thinks about it, but that's like, but I yeah. think we need more of that kind of thinking around it because one of the things that is not being talked enough right now is, the human responsibility in all of this, you know, like right. you said, we're, we're kind of talking around it. Like, well, what's the AI going to do? What are people going to do? And it's like, no, what are the people going to do with the AI? That's what right. we need to be thinking about because, you know, to your point on the regulation piece, my philosophy on how we do a better job of doing this is we help, like you said, push people through the discomfort of it. Right. We don't, we don't restrict them from it because then that just leads to terrible things. 
We also don't try and shut it down. And honestly, like you said, it's an inevitability. There's no putting the train back in the station. It's left. It's gone. So sitting there going like, well, AI, I'm going to just deny its existence. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) well, do that at your own peril type of thing. And so, yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting how some of this stuff plays out over the next few years. I mean, are there any things I'm curious, you know, as you've looked at some of the ways people are using it, you know, I, I don't remember who said this recently, but I, I love the way they talked about it and that they said the potential of AI is only limited by human imagination, right? Like where it can go that that is the ceiling. Um, and I recorded a podcast last week or something. And someone asked me, where do you think it'll be in a hundred years? And I said, I don't even think we've imagined what right. it could be in a hundred years, let alone make a right. prediction of where it will be. Are there any things that you've seen people do even within the tool that you've gone? I did not expect that. Like that is really cool. Um, the, the short answer is no. <laughs> um, I, I, I spend a lot of time in the tool. Okay. I don't know. I, I wish I had some like really cool story for you. It's mostly it's people like misusing and not understanding the tool. <laughs> <laughs> well but i mean when you think about well but i mean i guess when you think about where we are in the change curve right and i think this goes back to why what you're talking about and what we're saying is we need to lean into this more instead of just you know well how can it help me push the rock up the hill like what why don't you figure out how to let it do some of that work so you can do some of this other stuff I, I think we're in that stage right now, and I anticipate we will for a bit. I mean, we're seeing this now with AI content. Good grief. If I read one more post or article or blog where you go, could you have at least gotten creative in your chat GPT prompts? I mean, I I'm at least at a point where I'm like, I'd accept creativity in the prompting right. over some of the stuff I'm reading now. But yeah. I think we're going to yeah. go through this for a while. Yeah, like back in November, I was like, every AI e-learning like article that came out, I was like, I'm on it. Like I'm reading it. This is like the direction of our company we want to go. And now it's like, there's so much fatigue and so much like just useless noise out there. Like, I don't know. That's, we, we write a little bit about um, on our blog um, about like some of the risks of AI, some of the wider risks. And um, our content writer, Coleman, um, he made up this word called um, mechanistic mimesis which is essentially like, it's pretty cool. It's, it's fun like, to say, I'll give it to Yeah, that. first That's of sure. all, <laughs> which is basically like we ourselves like become more mechanistic because of AI. Like we, we sort of emulate artificial intelligence in the way that we interact with each other, um, which is scary and like a direction that I don't want us to go. And... Yeah, I don't know. It's. I think it, that is like, one it, of the greatest risks. I mean, realistically, I think that's one of the greatest risks in that one, it's what we know and it runs right. the risk of making us even more like itself, Yeah, which is a tragedy because that's actually the absolute worst way you could use this. And it's absolutely the worst thing that it could do for you. Yeah, but I'm also like radically hopeful. Like- at the end of the day, I really do think that AI will help people and it will force us to, in some ways, become more human. I think I, yeah. basically since the 70s, we've kind of like, I was an econ major and I am realizing like we see ourselves almost as like economic people, like as like this rational actor and we've sort of already become mechanistic. And I am just really hoping that like AI will sort of force us to reckon with ourselves and our own humanity. I, I am optimistic as well on that. And I hope it will. I think it's going to be an interesting journey on this because having watched, I spend a way too much time studying human history and (laughs) it's interesting watching the pendulums. There's a quote from Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. So that's where like, I just look at this AI stuff and go, yeah, we're all acting like this is the first time this kind of thing has ever happened. And maybe in this specific instance, I think Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing where you go, 
you know, we're probably going to, and I think of even COVID, we have a recent example of this. Everybody was robotic and in their jobs and they did this stuff. And then the pandemic hit and they all got thrust out and it was chaos and everybody hated everything and it was the worst. And then there was this craving to go back to what they knew. And then suddenly people started waking up to, well, wait, maybe there's a better way type of a thing. And we still got a yeah. long ways to go, but <laughs> I mean, this cycle just repeats itself over and over. And I think we're going to see the same thing with AI. Yeah, I think so too. Well, it's going to be a fun ride. And this has been almost, I mean, it'll be as fun of a ride as this conversation was. So Ethan, <laughs> I genuinely appreciate you making the time. I think it's exciting where you're going with it. This was fun digging into things from um, a couple different perspectives. And I'm glad uh, that you were able to make the time with me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. I love talking about this stuff. It's a blast for me. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening and watching. I will be back in my usual time next week, but I wish you all the best and hope you have a great rest of your week.